people I knew in the East Coast from the talks were Kirtan, uh, whatever, givers and stuff. And so they would ask me, you know, here's some more people coming in. They'd ask me to, uh, if they could do Kirtan before the talk. I said, sure, you know. And so uh, everyone would be so excited, their music, and everyone would be feeling so emotional. And then it stopped, and I'd come up and I'd go, well, here's the bad news. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, I observed that I was readily Kirtan. Even though I wasn't into it, I had no idea really much about it. But as soon as the sense started happening, I was right there. That's the beauty of non-duality. You're actually right there available to what's happening. Yeah. Not by any effort or thought, but just by the basic fact that you couldn't be anywhere else. Yeah. So you're available because it's not the presence is always the presence. Yeah. So you're present, which is the presence, and you're available. And in that availability, you're of service, yeah? Not by any intention or thought, just by these facts based one on the other. And how we arrive at present, available, and always being of service, you wanna, yeah, just grab any seat you can get, and yeah? Is we don't start, we don't, uh, how we start from there is just basically through a negation of what we're not, yeah? Because what we're not seems to be not present, or when it's present, it seems to be occupied by yesterday and tomorrow, yeah? It, it seems to be very selectively available based on preferences or desires or aversions, yes? So it's not, it's very conditionally available. It's present through a whole lot of effort yeah and so and to be of service usually would still be an obsession with self yeah we talk about in recovery in recovery there's this incredible reading where they talk most people think selfishness self-seeking you know fuck you and everything like that would be self-will yeah that would be being driven by the head but basically one or there is no one but some, being driven by the head can look virtuous and kind, but it still has that self-centered motive. There's something it's looking for by doing the behavior, yeah? Which isn't what presence and availability is. It's responding to the fact of the present and then what's available at that moment, yeah? It's completely different. And one, there's a lot of manufacturing and effort, which is the latter, and the and the present and available and being of service is a, like a natural state. Yeah, you don't really have to do anything. I learned this when uh, uh, when I was younger. I was the obsession was so much I hated to go to weddings, you know, family weddings. Yeah, and I usually would drink a lot of gin and tonics at the family weather wedding and make an ass of myself. Yeah, because it was all about me, so to speak. And then whatever happened, I lost interest in me or this self. And then I started to go to uh, family weddings or family events. And what happened when I was at that family event, no one saw me at all. They saw my their mother and father because they had both died. So all of the kids from my brother and my sister, right? 
after they died, when they saw me, I looked like my brother and sister. So all they saw was their father or their mother in me. That was my job at the wedding. Yeah, I would just trigger a very nice recollection of their mother or father. It's amazing, eh? Didn't do shit. Never had a, no thought about it because I wasn't there. And so, and I was completely there. And I, therefore I was being used. It was incredible. I never had said anything about me. As soon as they saw me, oh, you remind me of my father. Or you remind me, that was, that was the job. Yeah, service. So I was of service because I just showed up it was available because I showed up and there you there it went yeah and it was completely gauged on the lack of interest in self because it was that supreme interest in self that didn't want me to go to the freaking weddings because it was all about me not about the kid or the person that was getting married not about anything else it was about this is going to make me very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah not just it's just insane isn't it I think someone else is coming in i see jeff's car so uh and we have more chairs i think and we need them so this whole idea of non-duality on a pragmatic level just allows a traveling lighter through an event that seems to have time in it which seems to go on and on and on and on and on and after a while you see the greatest value in this the recognition of the of the futility of trying to get out of this situation as the situation, the action figure would be to travel lighter. And how does that, how do we arrive at that possibility is recognizing we can't travel lighter. As the action figure is not composed, it leans towards heaviness. It leans towards giving meaning to shit. It means towards having an extremely subjective experience that gets a little bit too much. So in a way, we're always seemingly embracing ourselves in a withholding of, of, you know, to others, yes? So here, these are the byproducts of a simple, a very simple activity, which is just hearing satsang, yeah? Just by hearing of satsang, things that seem to be very confusing can clear up without you polishing the mirror, without you polishing the lens. Yeah, it's not the lens. The lens, lens is perfectly capable of seeing. It's what's taking itself to be the one looking through the telescope. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly limiting its ability to see. Yeah, because the, the seeing of self is a blindness to what's seeing. The seeing of self, if we're seeing from self, this idea of Paul, we're busy looking, 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 which is really seeing uh, commandeered by the mental state, turned into a form of looking that becomes blind to the fact that you, you are the seeing or you are the awareness, if you want to call it that. It's not like vision when we say seeing. What we're saying is awareness. An awareness or a seeing isn't like an eye seeing an object. It's aware, yeah? So what happened with me, uh, you know, I got struck sober, which was amazing because I had really given up. I had, I really had given up, especially after I spent two years in a rehab a, a program which they, they just directed my every moment of every day, which I thrived in, 
yeah, which I wasn't proud of. I can thrive in an institutional setting. When somebody take, tells me what to do, I usually do better than when I'm telling me what to do. Yeah, and so I came out of there. I graduated with flying colors and they said, you know, that phase of your life as being an addict and shit was over now. You're gonna go, yeah, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you're gonna be Dr. Jekyll from now on. Don't worry about Mr. Hyde. It's or the new set has been caught and the new course has been set. Yeah. And I had a certain I had a hope, but I had a strange suspicion that uh Mr. Hyde was gonna show up again. So I graduated and basically when you left, it was like walking off a cliff. There was no bridge. They didn't tell me to go to recovery or anything like that. There wasn't any, oh, come back in a week. No, it was bye-bye, you know, you're on your own. And very quickly, the head started advertised what I'd been missing for the last two years. And it wasn't factual. It made it sound like great situations that I wanted to do, but do again. So when I was in that program, um, after about a year, it was clear narcotics was a problem in my life, but I made a little statement that I could probably drink, which I did not run by anybody in the program, just filed it away. And so when I graduated, I graduated with that idea in that head. And so very quickly, when I was on my quote unquote own, I got irritable, restless and discontent. And I listened to the head and I got into this Toyota, which I had a day later and i drove to a bar in in, in uh, san francisco if you're from here can you pick it up still yeah here yes hearing yeah i had to mute somebody all right so so i got and it was called the rose and thistle that's on california and pope we used to call it the nose and sniffle <laughs> <laughs> it was like a little drug depot, you know, like a home depot, but a drug depot. So I, I, I decided to drive back there to see what I'd been missing for the last two years, which was absolutely nothing. But I went in armed with this beer I could drink, and I ordered my first beer in two years. And of course, I was thinking, being obsessed with self, I thought, the, you know, the bartender had been getting my newsletter and that I shouldn't have a drink, but he didn't remember me from Adam. So he uh, brought me my first uh, lager and I drank it and nothing happened. Pretty good. You know, no, the police didn't rush in, nothing occurred. So I said, all right, hey, can I have another beer? So he gave it to me gladly, you know, and then uh, halfway through, I wanted more. Yeah, just think the more triggered and it could be whatever it is for you for me it's something else it's not more beer it's something else so the more triggered i want more so i started looking around the room to see if i knew anyone who used to do the same shit i used to do and the guy that used to sell more there was still selling it there he had like a franchise a little like <laughs> mcdonald's at rose and Thistle. so i kiss his ass which is very trippy in the in the world of commerce that to get this product, you usually have to kiss ass or listen to a story or whatever. So I kissed, kissed this guy's ass. He sold me a quartogram, went out to my car, which I lost the next day. And I did a line of cocaine. And it was truly like the movie The Shining when Jack Nicholson comes to the bathroom 
bathroom door near the end and goes, here's Johnny. It was just like that, just like that. That parasite or whatever it is was suspended for two years. It was still there pregnantly waiting, but it was suspended. It hadn't really popped his head up like a prairie dog, you know, but it was there. And uh, did that stuff, initiated a run, what we call a run, which isn't really that specific. It's not, doesn't capture what it's like. Because usually after you start on a run, you're walking gingerly <laughs> and, and limping usually, and then crawling and usually dragged back to that place of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. And that's what happened to me. Where I had given up all, I just fucking, I can't believe it. Two years, they told me everything was going to go well. And now I'm, now my whole head shifted into the old modality, which is, uh, well, I don't want to go into details, but after 10 months, it led me to uh, a day up in Calistoga. I, I started out on, in San Francisco, March 17th. And by, by March 19th, I was in Calistoga. I didn't know how I got up there. March 20th, I still was in a blackout, so to speak. And I came to in a trailer park with a guy I didn't know. We weren't, you know, horizontal, but that doesn't matter, vertical. And he, I, we were drinking a bottle of Royal Gate vodka and uh, passing it back and forth. And this guy had a big head and bulbous nose and varicose veins. And I said to myself, this guy's a bum, you know? And lo and behold, he's, he was looking at me like I was a bum. And something happened. The whole story stopped. The whole screen was frozen, sort of like when it happens in Zoom. Yeah? The, you don't know it's frozen for a little while. Yeah? And then suddenly you realize no one's moving or hearing anything. But it was like paused. And it, it was like the, the screen got cleansed. And then it was a new headline. And it was simple, I'm fucked, yeah? Now, and I like to use that word because it captures it better than screwed, much better, yeah? And basically, I'd been in that condition, but the denial from, of the mental state was keeping it truly from me, but I was fucked, yeah? And then there was a simple little understatement, which is, and I'm not managerial quality. Bing. Yeah. Suddenly the thoughts started again, but now they were different thoughts. What the hell am I going to fucking do? I left the plane, called up Delancey Street, the place I'd been in for two years. Now they had been getting my newsletter and they knew what I'd been doing. And they said, no, we're not going to take you in right away. Maybe in a month. And I said, I don't have a month. Yeah. Because now honesty sort of reappeared and I realized I don't have a month. This ain't work. This is this is no bueno. Yeah. So I call up a woman to ask for help, which she had helped me many times, and she agreed to come and pick me up from San Francisco. Now, while I was waiting, which is about an hour and a half, I had a miraculous alcoholic recovery, so to speak. When I got in the car, I wanted to get high, but the volume and the power of that urge had really dimmed. And I gave my, it was basically the last howl of the alcoholic wolf, really. I try to talk her into doing what we used to do, like getting some cocaine, you know, getting the dirty magazines, renting the hotel room and shit like that. She had done that 
equation with me many times had it been that satisfying for her she said no we're not doing that this time do you want a place to stay and i wanted a place to stay and she said you got to go to an aa meeting so she dropped me off at a men's meeting that night salvation army uh valencia and uh now cesar chavez and i've been going ever since 34 years whacked got whacked sober now the beauty of that event was the whacking of being sober wouldn't have lasted unless I was introduced to a way of life. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of times in satsang, people get an aha. Yeah. But then it gets drowned again. What is that activity that drowns the aha? The aha is not coaxed out. It's not like it just occurs when you hear the truth something triggers something like for me it was an unspoken yes but how can you keep that thing on a to keep getting oxygen because it usually gets drowned the baby gets drowned in the bathwater. yeah and this is what would have happened to me if i got struck sober and i wasn't introduced to aa i would have probably been fucked up in a couple of days i would have inevitably gone back to the habit that was paramount yeah but something was sufficient, not only to whack me, but to give me a new direction where I could find strength, where I may not have had on my own. Well, this is sort of what satsang is. We associate with the message, yes? So that the message almost like you're dying a piece of cloth, a D-Y-E, yeah? You keep soaking it in there and it does what it's gonna do. And then without you knowing it, or maybe the joy of knowing it, things are gonna change. The misunderstandings that hold a lot of sway are going to be weakened by the understanding that's being applied to them, which is non-dual. Yeah. And then the non-dual understanding is not, is not needed to take the place of the old understanding. What it's needed to do is negate the prominence of the old understanding because it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. And that misunderstanding sets off a lot of other ships that are going to be misunderstood. And you're going to wonder why things are, are, are the way they are, because it has a lot to do with us. Yeah. So the satsang, maybe I got, you know, at that point, I was introduced to AA. And after about seven years of going to AA, getting the action figure corrected, really. Yeah. Because, uh, my tendency, what all, all this, all the habits I, I was made of tended to lead me to be jackpotted. Yeah. When I attempted to manage life, it led me to be managed by other people. Things would come to a point where either I get arrested or get hurt badly, go to a hospital or go to a institution. Yes. So I heard this message based on as an echo or it's almost like sonar hitting a lot of evidence that was in my life, which is the failure of any life run on self-will. And when we talk about self in this view, it's the small s of the feeling of being a long lasting, independent, separate entity. And that feeling represents a sense of being the doer, the thinker, the feeler, the taster, the haver, the loser. Yes, a noun, yeah. So when the seeing is occurring, we don't get the message of the seeing. The seeing is, a, is an indication of our presence and our availability. Because basically, even with vision, 
if your eye is if you're if there's a window and your eye is open, you may have had a value or never going to see a bird again. You're going to see a bird probably. Yeah. Because there's no volition in it. You don't have a volition what you're going to see if you're looking out of certain windows and shit. You're going to see what appears. Yes. So there's an availability to what's happening. And that availability is an activity of what's already there, which is presence, not present, presence. Presence is present, but it's not present. It's not of time, it's presence. So there's presence and then there's availability, yeah? So my ears are available, my fingers are available, my tongue is available, yeah? My eyes are available, what's not fucking available? What's what believes it can withhold itself from this event? The head. You didn't have it when you were seemingly you were a kid. It had to be it's something occurred and you outgrew a certain condition of life's happening and you grew into an interpretation of life's happening to me. Yeah. And then it 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 has a perfect ironclad device to keep you locked in because you try to get out of me as me. You try to get out of the incongruity, the uncomfortableness, the claustrophobicness of self-centeredness as self. And of course it fails you and you can be super bummed out, but it's trying to tell you something by failing. Yeah, you're not self, yeah? You don't have to get out. See, you're not in. That's the joy of non-duality. That's what non-duality's message corrected in me. I constantly was looking to get out of stuff. Even when I was looking to get into stuff, stuff, it was preambled by, I want to get out of something else. Yeah. So the, the movement of, no matter what I was moving towards, the movement was a manufacturing, a construct that didn't work. And this is the beauty of non-duality. The non-duality doesn't give a damn if you're worrying about next week, it wants to see, is there a you that's worrying about next week? Or is the nerd, or, or is the worrying about next week being used to reinforce the sense of you? I believe it's the latter. Yeah, the head just makes shit up and it's like, it has a little hit, hit hook. You buy it, it may, be, it may be breadcrumbs, but when you buy it, you're a fish. Yeah, you take yourself to be the doer or the thinker or the feeler, or the haver, or the loser, all freaking day. And what does that do? Does it make you present? Some authors hope not, because they wouldn't make any money when they put out the next book of how to get into the moment. If you believed you couldn't be out of the moment, you'd have no interest in buying a book of how to get into the moment. Yes? Would you? No. Yeah. So the whole point isn't, all right, this is the newfangled, synthesized hybridness of being in the moment. No, it's you lose interest in all that because you can't be out of a moment. You're readily always present. You're always available. Yes, always. Now it doesn't matter. It's not describing what you may be available to. A lot of us are available to the head. Yes. And so the, the head, we're available to it, and the head runs its story. And when we enter that, it becomes myopic, doesn't it? You, be, you get into a tunnel. 
And then you look at everything as how it pertains to you, as the you that you're not. That's why in Zen they would say a simple, profound recognition is when you see blue as blue and red as red. That's incredibly fucking profound because we don't see things as they are. Yes? So that's why satsang, it's just like what people do in recovery. People, it wasn't, they didn't start it this way. They realized they need meetings to be reminded. Well, if, if, it's, if you are that, why do you need to be reminded? Well, that's an interesting question. But if you do need to be reminded, you better. <laughs> really. And most people need to be reminded. Yeah, most people like satsang because it's almost like captures that aha before it's turned into something. Yeah. And they get into the habit. And that habit is just like when you used to do Tai Chi or Qi Kung. You'd be in a habit. And after a while, as soon as you got into the first posture, you would feel what it used to take an hour to produce. You would feel it like that, yes? Because now you're in the habit of being in that chi, let's say, or you're in the habit of being sober, and now you're in the habit of being in truth. Yeah. So you come here once a week, twice a week, five times a week. It doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't. Some people are here because they need to be simple. Just enjoy it. It doesn't freaking matter. But it's it's the association with this. I feel goes a whole lot farther than personal study. I do. And from hearing saying I've not done anything other than that. Yeah. All I've done is either I've I've been at every Paul Hedeman meeting. That's all I do. I don't, and then I do physical, I do some stretching to keep the body somewhat, you know, <laughs> yes, to a level of quality that I can live with. Yes. <laughs> I main, maintain that. And then basically, where the whole thing in recovery, I think, is a little mistake is they say the daily reprieve of not being driven to drink today is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. I don't believe you need to maintain a spiritual condition. I think knowing you're a spiritual condition is is what allows you to maintain a mental condition, which is sanity concerning the insanity that precedes the first drink, seriously, so that you never start drinking. So you don't need all the skillful means and all the tricks of how to stop. You don't start, yeah? You live in a state of not starting. It's called abstinence. I've been in it for years and years and years. I go on trips. I had in that whole trip. I remember the day I drove down to Joshua Tree, Amelia. Not one thought or feeling about drinking or using. The whole time, not one thought about drinking and using. The only way I can use that as an example, because it's always not a thought about drinking or using. (laughs) I never have them. I mean, that's better than any skillful means, is it? I've got to combat the crazy. I don't have the crazy thoughts concerning alcohol and drugs. Hallelujah. Is that a possibility? Of course it is. If it's demonstrated in one in eight million, it's still a possibility. Yeah. So this is why, you know, we start saying I love it because, uh, 
And in the Zoom, I mean, how much easier do you want? You pick the setting, your own. You don't even have to wear pants if you don't want to. You just, you can have any drink you want, anything that you think is interest. You've got the game on Tebow or whatever. You're not going to miss it. I mean, fuck, what more do you want? You don't have to move, no parking, nothing. We're not passing a basket. You don't even get a basket pass and have to feel uncomfortable not putting anything in. You can just say, fuck it. Yeah. I mean, wow, they're asking too much. Fuck, a Zoom? A Zoom, really? I mean, I, do I have to wear another shirt? Yes. Oh. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. I truly believe there's been two major movements in this life that have affected all the movements, which is getting struck sober and hearing this message of non-dwelling. It brought so much illumination to what the way of life of, of recovery. I can't, I can't even, I think a crude uh, example of how powerful it's been in me is just sharing it all the time, seriously. Yeah, and I, I never get exhausted because of uh, what it's made available. Yeah. yeah. And it is truly, it's the crystal of traveling later. It really is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here once again. People say, how can you talk about the same thing every time? I don't really. I never feel like I'm the speaker of anything. I just show up and then it happens, yes? And in a way, it's almost like verbal jazz, which I like. You have like the Love Supreme theme and then you just riff off it. And, but you never go away into another album. You just keep going back to that one theme, yeah? And it's, uh, I mean, I think it would be the greatest challenge if someone tried to play a note that couldn't be captured, yeah? trumpet or person you know what i mean i mean they, that would keep people at it forever just trying to hit an un unhittable note yeah so how can you describe the indescribable it's awesome and that's the beauty of negation really because you arrive at the description of the indescribable by the negation of what can be described how beautiful is that and why did non-duality arise based on duality Really, something needed to arise in this event to negate the dominant influence of the event, which is duality. And so it's called non-duality. So that's, I'm a true believer in the direction of negation. I am, that's what's worked, yeah? So it was used to always flip me out when I was a kid at, we'd have, you'd have to go to like a Catholic thing where they go over God, you know, every week when you're in a Catholic school. And one of the things they'd always harp on, the three attributes of the God, of God which is omnipresence, ever-present, always present, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful. And it used to really flip me out. Why am I not running into God? You know, I'm running into kids I don't want to see. I'm never, where's this omnipresence? Uh, you're unbeknownst to us, we're it, really. That's why we don't run into it. Yeah. 
we don't run into it because we're it. That's the explanation that finally worked. The reason why I'm not getting it is I am it. The reason why I can't arrive because I never left. The reason why I can't experience it because I am it. Yeah. And instead of trying to experience what I am, allowing what I am to influence all experiences is the is the essence of traveling lighter, really. Yeah. It doesn't become an experience, but it influences all your experiences. So where certain experiences would never be able to give you enough, you see more than enough there. Yes, because now there's a contentment and satisfaction, not a dissatisfaction, discomfort driving. Yeah, yeah. What a way to go. So, so uh, yeah, anyone, Mike? Uh, go ahead and raise your hand if you want. Do you have a blender going there? It sounds funny. Well, that's uh, they're cooking the uh, goose. Are they really? Yeah, we got a lot going on here. Yeah. Oh, so it's the uh, thermo thing. Passive event. <laughs> this isn't a passive event. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is the I, again the most. I'm getting worried, man. The most excited I've seen Amelia is uh, watching the World Cup. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> it's another thing you just have to accept. You know what I mean? Some things are much more important than you. Most things, usually during the day. Ah! All right. Anyone else, Mike? Uh, no hands on Zoom. No hands on Zoom. Well, we can end this early if you like to. Any questions you do you uh, see? Chris, Chris put his hand up. All right. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. Chris. I got I got a question, Paul. <clears throat> that when you were looking at at that guy and saying, uh, you know, wow, that guy's a bum, and then you got the feeling. I never seen. <laughs> What's that? I never what? saw him ever after that. when I left yeah, that trailer. That. Yeah, I never saw him. <laughs> And, and, you, <laughs> and you got that feeling that he was looking at you the same way? Yes. Like, I got that feeling what, yeah, strongly. What did that... What? <laughs> I didn't have much chance to feel because then the screen went blank. So I, didn't, I couldn't get into a narrative about it. And it actually never got a narrative because I never saw the guy again. Do you after think... I walked out. Do you think it I was after I made the phone calls? I just started roaming. Yeah. 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 Was so that no, I had I had the feeling and then the screen went blank and then something else superimposed whatever the story was gonna be made. Yeah. Was was that just random timing or was it you seeing yourself from a different perspective or something? Well, it wasn't me seeing myself from a different perspective. No, it wasn't that. Me stopped in a way. And then life talked directly to what we, I would feel called the innermost in recovery, which I do not think is located in the mental activity, where the me is located. So there is a me that's not a me. 
in us and something spoke to that and said uh and the game was called yeah yeah it was just called and the next only it only took a few hours for life to conspire to bring me to my first meeting and then uh a whole new trajectory started truly i mean completely different than the habits of the day before uh it started very meagerly i got went to that meeting i stayed at the lady's house who picked me up her roommate didn't like me so she had to sneak me into their condo and i had to sleep in her closet which wasn't as tall as i am and that was my first night and then when I woke up in the morning and it had been, it wasn't like a fitful night of sleep, I had a thought that would definitely never have come before, which is I better call this AA thing and find out if there's earlier meetings than eight o'clock at night, because I'm not going to make it. So there was a clear sober assessment of my chances and it wasn't looking good. And they told me there was a 12 o'clock meeting, like Jeff remembers, I think high noon, used to be at 17th and Guerrero, 1988. And uh, I went to that meeting noon because I didn't think I had a whole day to sit with myself and not be convinced to get loaded again. Yeah, yeah. So, and that really started. And when I woke up for that thought to have a chance, a lot of other thoughts had have been dimmed down so that was the first real effect of grace that volume and the urge that i used to wake up with like wanting to escape had been dimmed down and other thoughts could come which is uh is there an earlier meeting because i gotta have that life preserver yeah i gotta grab that i'm not gonna make it and so that's what happened and i started going to the high noon and i had painted houses when i was younger I hadn't been doing much for years, mostly nickel dime uh, selling drugs and shit like that. But I didn't, I hadn't worked. I couldn't hold a job. So I met some guy and he was a drunk. There's a lot of drunk painters. It's a good place for alcoholics. And I bluffed my way into a job and then I got a job painting. And it was very hard to cut a clean line because I was still whacked, yeah? But the guy, the boss was almost worse than me. So I bluffed my way in. And the first move was out of that closet. And I got a, I moved into a residence hotel in San Francisco, which I never even knew about. And the the hotel mostly had foreign students that were in America to study English. And I had a German roommate and I rented a room and they'd have three meals a day. You paid weekly. And, uh, there you went. Life's just started to form around me and it, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and with more momentum. But it was a trip to watch it. And I remember after eight weeks, I bought a ghetto blaster and this seems weird, but I bought a, uh, some tapes of my favorite bands, which I hadn't heard for for years. Because you know, when you're out there, everything's gone. And that was a big self-esteem type thing and i believed i needed self-esteem to not not to drown and i was starting to do things that my head couldn't really pound away at me for going to meetings and yeah clean my and then life just cleaned me up and then the next uh, 
uh, whack was the idea of self as being foreign to me. I had never, I could have understood a, a philo philosophical presentation of it as not being me, but it, that wouldn't have held, held any water. This was a sense felt it wasn't me. And it was built on feeling like it was me for so long. So that the negation of it had that power as, but and I'm not that me. Yeah, it was very incredible. And it got me really excited and I thought it would be great, but uh, my community didn't, you know, didn't, op didn't welcome it with open arms as much as I thought <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, because it seemed to be a threat to common AA, whatever. It doesn't, it was, didn't matter really. I was on fire. Yeah, because I, and then I saw I was speaking at a meeting, and that's the first time I, the parasitical idea came up because there was a desire to communicate, and my head was trying to put the words together, and it came up with the parasitical. Uh, you know, attributes of the mental addiction. And then uh, that worked for people. They would they'd have an image of what was defeating them as other, which is what I was shooting for, because that's what brought the relief to me. When I saw self as other, the possibility of being free from it became available. And again, when that became available, it made me able to see that why it wasn't available because I was identified as self. So I had been trying to be free as self instead of from self. Those two words are direction, obviously. As is with and from was, yeah. So, and that those two roads have never been confused again. Yeah. Never Thanks, been confused. That, that's been a clear, uh, that just has gotten clearer through the, you know, like the wish-washing windows of time, yes? It's much clearer, yeah. So then I got introduced to non-duality, which gave me an understanding to capture what was happening, yeah? And to uh, really stand up in the level of understanding, because understanding is valued quite a lot here, intellect and shit. And then the non-duality understanding brought out the, into stark contrast the misunderstandings of my life that were hidden quite well by the identification of self, completely camouflaged. Once I questioned the idea of self, then the misunderstandings that support this idea of self became obviously fucking bogus. And uh, I found I had an ability to be convinced, which I didn't know I did, but I do. And I was convinced of th certain things that they sort of their uh, their existence ended. These are some of these ideas, and they've never resurrected since. So, yeah, and I have a feeling everyone's mind or mind itself, seemingly as everyone has these qualities. So, I believe you can hear something sufficiently enough that it brings about a being convinced. And then basically, like I think Ramana may have been implying a great master Ramana Maharshi about this, this event called hearing satsang, which is your head is in the tiger's mouth. So it's already started. <laughs> you can't back out now. 
yeah and then more gets revealed yeah it's not that there's uh there's not revealing more but more gets revealed yeah it's more like there's a huge amount of space but in a way somehow we've decided or got used to looking from one particular space called self triangulated in time and space yeah and this one particular thing is sort of like a way of looking in a vast scene <laughs> it's sort of insane really it truly is it's like a vast scene and then there's this activity of of looking self-looking which is self-centeredness yeah so all that and then a lot of times like intuitive thought and these feelings of recognition or like yeah are just shots of the scene coming through into the looking yeah they just interrupt they break through the fucking tunnel vision of looking and then you see like really see like blue is blue and red is red yes so like jesus says for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear when basically most people have eyes to see and ears to hear what's the difference he's implying for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear yeah have probably at that point when you have eyes to see and hear there's been a loss of interest self yeah and then something gets revealed now self may regroup but uh some things uh you know once you see the emperor with no clothes you still see it when it has clothes on (laughs) it's made an impression no matter how many clothes you put on it you still see it as the emperor with no clothes. (laughs) It can can go through a lot of wardrobe changes, but basically it's the emperor with no clothes. Yeah, so, and hopefully it allows you to, uh, hey, listen, right now, I feel like I'm at a uh, holiday family thing and I'm having, past traumatic memories coming up <laughs> getting re- recapitulated as i sit here seriously i'm looking at it this could be my nephew mike my uncle hero you know my cousin I'm going, wow. <laughs> so all that all that lost meaning that was put in thing is getting retrieved right now through the grace of satsang seriously i'm having it <laughs> I'm thinking because I felt like this when I was at relations things. I'm feeling like I'm disconnected. Like when I was a kid, you know, I was a little cherub, you know, three or four years old. They'd have the family pictures. Then at like eight or nine, it looked like I was pasted into the picture. I was there's the family, and then I'd be looking at my mother like suspiciously from and it looked like I was a million miles away. Something had just I'd just gotten absorbed somewhere that it looked like I was photoshopped into things. Seriously, you could see that guy doesn't belong there. It was just that weird. And so this is blowing my little mental condition. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. You ever hear of shamanism with recapitulation? So you, you're, you find yourself in a thing that you have found yourself in many times and uh, your mental struggles to defend or whatever have left a residue there that has a uh, can be uh, used for now. Yeah, so you go through these past 
uh, events, you know, the imagery of it, and life gets restored from it. Yeah. So you're more enriched now. Yeah. This doesn't have to be a, a seminar you go to and sign up in. You can be under it all the time. You can be under this working all the time. I'm serious. I just got a huge amount of relief about uh, fucking holidays. Yeah. Well, and then I even saw, I looked under the thing and I imaged, all I used to get was socks and one flannel shirt. I saw the same package I used to get when I was a kid. And now I feel gratitude. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That was more than enough. There, yeah. oh, all those memories. There's no yeah. socks or fine. I know. I know. So yeah. So anyone, yeah, Chris. So uh, I didn't have a time to know. Uh, it wasn't that feeling. It wasn't seeing him. Uh, it was just that was the sort of last uh, stream of the thought before the curtain came down. It had no importance, really. It was the curtain coming down. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. We have a question out here. And uh, it's Uncle Nor. Uncle Nor. Uncle Nor. You didn't take me to the demolition derby when I was a kid. Sorry, big cousin. All right. So, yes, Nor. So, what? You had sponsors, right? Yes. And uh, well, let's say what a, a sponsor is. Some people may not know what they are. Mentors you, in you recovery. Because I'm not, I'm not so. I I'll tell you. He's asking if did I have sponsors in recovery? Well, yes. There's another piece to it, so I'm going to ask more. <laughs> did you ever go for a counseling, individual counseling? After that, after that point. Yes, I did. Okay. Well, with a sponsor. With either, you know, actually, I went to therapy once for about four times uh -huh. because I had a, a deep mental groove that was sufficient enough for me to try to get something to change it. Uh, therapy wasn't for me, and that deep mental groove uh, was quite influential until about my 11th year of sobriety, and then. Um, that dragon sort of was slayed finally, but it didn't look hopeful. I'll tell you to be more, and this is just a blemish on the action figure. Yes, you know, you know what some scars are in Hinduism, deep mental grooves or something. I had a thing that there was a strong suspicion. Strong suspicion. Can you hear me, Mike? Uh, yeah, I just muted Walter. Maybe that was. You don't mind, I'm going to go into this today, Lou, because here we are. There was a strong blemish on the action figure concerning uh, vulnerability and love, yes? So somewhere along the line, I did not feel I could trust people when it came to love, yeah? Just like when the, the two, the one person I really loved a lot when I was a kid, my grandmother, she passed away and that had a big effect on me because my father passed away about four months before her when I was nine. Now, my grandmother's passing away. I blacked out. I no memory of funeral, nothing like that, because that was it was too much for me. And it somehow uh, the head lent itself to be what I could rely on. And I got sucked up into that. 
And so what happened is when I would be involved with somebody I really liked, not, not just casual, that would be easy. But when somebody I really liked, every once in a while I'd get paranoid, like they were getting ready to fuck with me or something, yes? And my head, first it would be a urge, like a fucking, almost a visceral feeling. And then it would be accompanied by a head, what to do? Well, fuck them or something like that. And I would put my foot in my mouth and create a huge situation, not physical or anything, but just make an ass of myself, really, and do a lot of damage. And this haunted me when I was, when I got sober. Yeah, because I was hoping that it would be over because it was produced by drug use, but it wasn't. It was there. Yeah, it was amplified by drug use. So when it showed its head when I was sober, it really flipped me out. And you would have this thing they call in recovery an emotional hangover. When you're getting loaded, you don't have that. But I was left with bad feelings about what I thought I had done, though I didn't do it with something took me over and did it through me. But still, the head, of course, thinks it's the doer. So felt really bad about it. And it brought me to a point I saw a therapist with the hopes of maybe trying to get to the bottom of it. When I go to places that I are not best for me, something tells me. So I realized that. And then I had an incident. It used to come up a lot of times on holidays. Yeah, I guess I was terribly disappointed in holidays for some reason you know so this was new year's eve i had a lady that i was seeing uh things were going all right and then this thing came up and so of course i start arguing with her at in her apartment and i leave though i didn't want to leave i wanted to keep arguing but one of the you know i'm gonna make a stand so i leave i go down the car only wanted to go back up and re-engage yeah so i kept calling her from the thing and I go back up and I'm ready just to put my big foot in the mouth again. And then something interceded. It was incredible. Right, right. And I went another direction and she didn't There's know. That. She missed the whole train wreck, which was mind boggling. And at that point, a lot of wind was taken out of that sail. And I never had a big, a big event of it. And at times when it's come back, it's been very therapeutic actually. Yeah, yeah, but it, uh, and that was about the 11th year of sobriety. And I'll tell you, I had given up hope for many of the years of sobriety and basically attempted to limit my affairs because I just didn't want to bring this stuff up again from a person, the other person and me. And uh, it got altered sufficiently that I've uh, just, life's amazing because you know, when you looking at relationships and you see maybe there's things that weren't good in them, and then you realize the one constant has been you, yeah? And then to have the opportunity once again in life, because before I met Amelia, I was ready to ride into the sunset. Yeah, I was, I've just had enough of it, yes? Of, and, uh, but life, it was like an invitation and I could feel like I said yes and I went for it and it's really recapitulated all my old relationships, which is quite nice, yeah, because I've been able to receive love and give love and, and you know, and a lot of things that could have triggered me in the past have come up and uh, we've came through it, I feel, feel with, you know, fucking 
brilliantly. And and this is a way of like uh, healing without looking to be healed. Yes, that's what I got a lot of in this this whole event. Yes, so yeah, that's the only time I ever went to therapy. I think a lot of times I'd go, this is not, this is just an opinion, but I think a lot of therapists are in the event of unhealed healers, really. They're trying to heal themselves by healing others and uh, they're fucked up. <laughs> a lot of them, some of them, you know, the ones I've met. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anything else? That's all right, Noah. Yeah, yeah I brought it. a pull out of sadness, so I appreciate it. Yeah, and sadness can be very rich, I feel. I feel uh, uh, sadness recapitulated is, can be very rich, very rich. I really got a very nice, because yeah, you've longed for things to be different, and now they are in a lot of ways. And that when you have that sadness of all the time longing for things to be different, and now they are, that sadness is rich now. It's it's sort of has oh, into mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel nothing fails here. Everything has value. If you don't put your value in it, it's gonna show you its own value. I do believe that. And a lot of the times it's about not doing anything and allowing things to be done. And then you come to see things work in a much different and much more efficient, loving way than the way you would try to make them work. Yeah, 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 so. All right, anyone else? Yes, Esther, hi Esther. Esther. Hi, Paul. The, um, your, your, um, Esther, Esther C, vitamin C. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be like, uh -huh. <laughs> when I'm with my mother, I, yes. I take care of her. And lately there's this mood that comes over like this disappointment and um, a form of like depression. And uh, she, I'm not really interested in the things that she says to me about her past anymore and maybe never. And um she talks a lot about the past, mostly, yeah. and um, and I, I liked what you said about um. I think you said that the um. That it's coming up, but, but that you're not you're not in it. You're not. Yes. Yeah. It, to see just to, to and not yeah. to try to get out of it, but to see that, just to see, because because. Yeah. There, the, what's 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 coming up is that uh, I got to change this. This isn't right, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. So go ahead. Yes, you get to see things differently, and it's all based on there was see in recovery. We have a big thing of service, and a lot of the times, what we're confronted as as addicts and stuff is a dominant uh, theme of the mental state, which is black and white. Yeah, it's either or. We don't see that things could be inclusive. It's either this or that, yes. And 
I was, I witnessed, I was at a recovery meeting and a guy who had a lot of time had met this lady, a new lady and her friends and they drank wine and stuff, a lot of wine. And they looked very successful and they were going to wine showings at the things. And the only thing he could come up with is I'm either going to start drinking with them or I have to leave. (laughs) That was it. I'm either going to drink with them or I got to leave the relationship. So he talked and he's asking people to help. So he came up to me and I said, listen, bro, why don't you just go out and do some service and then look at the situation again? Because you're up the ass and that's the only way you can see it is I'm either going to drink after 28 years or I got to split. And there's other possibilities. So, but he couldn't see those other possibilities with these eyes. But then if he did service, these eyes would be, he'd be out of the ass of self and he'd be available to see things differently. It was a simple bit of advice, but I remembered it. Yeah. And I said, and if you like, report back. Tell me what it, now how you see it. Because it was really, he was in so much stress because he thought, Either I got to start getting loaded or leave. <laughs> Bro, there's other, yes? So it's always, it's not the condition you need to change. It's your how you see it. And it's also, obviously, it's much more accessible to see it in a different way than to make that which you're seeing different. Yes, it is, obviously. Some is like, a lot of engineering and structural rearrangement. The other way is like you're in the blueprint room and you change the closet in the blueprint. It's a drag that changed the closet's position after the house is built, yes? If you do it in the blueprint room, it goes a lot easier. We're all getting, we're getting goose smoke is killing us all. It's it's looking like it's, it feigns the appearance of transcendence, but they're really going out cold from the goose in the room. <laughs> That's all you need to do. You'd be the next big thing if you just let some gas out at a satsang hall and people went off into ecstasy like nitrous oxide. They would be the new big person. Oh, I can't wait to go to the next satsang. (laughs) All right, release the valve. (laughs) Everyone's laughing. (laughs) You know, things can be manufactured quite a lot. Yes. Don't go, don't go, don't fall for signs. Yeah. Yeah. Signs can be misinterpreted. All right, so anyone else, Mike? I don't know their hands right now. The goose is went out, yeah. The goose is, uh, <laughs> they're all, wow. What? No other hands? Well, no, but I want to, I want to mention something because of what Esther said. Um, because it reminded me of my mom when I used to be, you know, I, I like history, I used to, uh, including family history, I'd always ask questions. And my mom didn't have a good memory and I would just be frustrated. She couldn't answer something I would ask about my grandparents or whatever. Uh, and then years later, you know, I just would occasionally ask and she wouldn't know. And then at some point she she would act kind of like uh, uh, annoyed. And I thought, well, whatever, you know, like I just had to back off. She didn't have the answer anyway. And it turned out she thought I was like 
testing her memory or something like that, except she brought it up this time much later that she, she didn't, she kind of got, wasn't inter, she didn't value herself, right? So she couldn't imagine that I was interested in hearing her stories. <laughs> you know, like, mm. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear about that. Uh, so it just reminded me, it's like kind of your bum example, how another person can show us something we can't imagine at the time, right? Like yes. something like that is going on. And this was like the biggest difference, right? And then we had a good time, you know, we're trying to, she could remember things and she, <laughs> Uh, this is a long time ago. I'm not talking about, you know, nowadays where you might not want to hear stories anymore, but, but it goes back and forth, right? It's, it's just weird. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. You have a minute, everyone. So when I was young, I did Est. I think it's more like Landmark now. But in 1972, I think I did Est in New York City. Uh, Werner Earhart, I think his name was and stuff. And uh, after you did Est, it sort of opened your head up and they would have further things to uh, like explore, like sex and stuff. And so I did one of those because I see I was like a Catholic, yeah, fucked up on the sexual idea. So I started doing that. And then they said, uh, well, why don't you ask your mom about what it was like to be with dad and stuff like that? I said, what the fuck? My mother's never gonna, never, never, never gonna want to talk about that. Finally, I brought it up. She was super happy. Fucking, it was all me. It was all my idea of my mom. Nothing to do with my mom was quite open. Oh, I didn't like having sex with your father or whatever. And I was like, what? I said, yeah, she was very, very natural with it. Yet the whole time I'm thinking it's her, but it was here, yes? Which is most of the time. Like when Mike constantly says, I'm muted or I've gone out, it's because he's muted. It's that habit we keep doing, yeah? We, we're in the condition and we think it's the other, yeah. So it's a trip. This place, either we need to call the uh, fire department or <laughs> the smoke of transcendence is getting heavy. All right, anyone else? So we'll just say you're, goodbye. You're muted. I couldn't hear anything you said. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't hear you. Oh no, it's. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, uh, Mike, as always, thank you for all the service. Send me some goose. Yeah, yeah. We'll tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send me the stories. <laughs> I never had goose ever. No. It's looking good. It's looking good, the goose. All right. We have Johannes. Nice to see you, my bro. We've been through with it. We've been with each other in this Zoom for a while. I appreciate you coming around. Sherry, as always, down in San Diego area. Nice to see you, Sherry. Yep. We got uh, Michael Sherman. Yes. Strange. He looks like he's either in the largest shower curtain in the world or very strange setting there. Uh, we got Chris. Always a pleasure, Chris. Yeah. Vlad, as always. Nice to see you, Vlad. Better start thinking about Portugal in a couple of months, Vlad. Yes, yeah. Yes. Alan, Alan M., I can't really see you, but I, I know you're there. 
He's in there. We got Leah. Oh, there's Leah. Did you make it up Northern California? Oh, she's got the Joshua Tree coffee. <laughs> You're down in the desert, eh? Yeah. Oh, so Leah's down in Joshua Tree. You like the coffee? It's amazing. Yeah, it's very good. I know. Connor, Connor from Ireland. There he is. Thank you, Connor. Thanks, man. Esther, keep coming around, Esther. Yes. We've got Tariq from Dover, New Jersey. Always a pleasure, bro. Boswell? Yeah. We got Esteban, my little martial artist, aficionado. Yes. Sensei. Sensei. The teacher, I think. We got. Miss Amelia, yeah, we got two people from the fire department over here putting the goose out. <laughs> we got John Connolly, John Bruce, as always. Uh, Zoe, always a pleasure, Zoe. We got Bill Churchman, very nice. Angie. Very, very good. And we got Jim. Jim, I can't get any farther about Brahmi. I don't have a phone number. No, uh, I was hoping I, she'd be here today. I exchanged messages with Anu and Mike. They were able to find it. All right, yes, great. great. I'm all good. I'm all good. Uh, I got Sandas information as well. Thank you. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. She all can good. help you there. So we got Angie. There she is. Yes. Angie Breaker, there's a smile. There you go. We got Tom, Tommy Harmon. Nice to see you, Tommy. We got Ashley. Ashley looks a lot like Matt. Matthew. Not Matthew. Like... Hey, Paul. Sorry, yeah, my Matthew. wife commented the Zoom. Oh, it's okay. Nice to see you, bro. All's well. You got the message. We were yeah. having it up here, right? Good. Yep, I got the message. I'm on my way to San Quentin, so. Oh, all right. <laughs> two to five. <laughs> two to five in San Quentin. No, he's visiting <laughs> San Quentin. He's not going to San Quentin. Yeah. David B., David Bitterman, nice to see you. Uh, we got, I can't, let me see this name. Mahavir, Mahavir, yes. Nice to see you, Mahavir. I got it right. Uh, we've got Susan K. We got David B. Brown, Harry from Hawaii. Greg, oh Greg, my friend, old friend. Kathleen, Laurie. We got Jim. I think that's it. So, hey, everybody. Uh, Let, let's see Amelia's excitement one more time. Here's Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I was once number one. Now it's kittens, puppies, uh, world soccer. <laughs> I'm dropping down. It's okay. In my life, a little can be a lot. So, thank you. Thank you, Amelia. All right. Anytime. I'll see you, everybody. See you guys. Thank you so much. Much. We'll be around 
I think we put up the information of about Mexico. It's going to be coming up. We're going to do a three-day thing in Mexico, February. And uh, yeah, give us. A, I'll, I'll see you guys soon in the neighborhood. Enjoy your goose. Bye. -bye. <laughs> yes, we'll tell you how. It